Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Whiskey and Whitetails, the show for those that hunt with a passion and drink with a purpose. As always, I am your host, Gus. I'm Matt. As we always say, thank you to our Patreon for their support and their uh, awesome executive producer input. Thank you to the Waypoint Network for having us, and uh, thank you to you for your support and your input if you're new here welcome if not welcome back, back. let's finish it for you <laughs> today we have an awesome okay. guest john schneider uh before we even did this podcast which you're here in a second i went i was telling the wife i was like i'm so excited for this we have a like the guy that you always want to talk about and be about and like every hunter's dream man john schneider so cooking with fire wild food farming he's a photographer videographer he's just an all-around beast Traditional bow hunting, he makes his own bows, his own clutches, his own arrows, wing shooting, campfire cooking, backcountry camping. I mean, you name it, this guy does it, and he's a true yep. outdoorsman. And we're here this week to talk about his new ventures, if you will. Yeah, so John Schneider has a podcast and a YouTube channel called John Schneider's Wild Life. Um, and essentially, he's sort of documenting his process of leaving the life, uh, the only life he'd ever known of farming and hunting and fishing as Matt uh mentioned there uh to embrace a simpler self-sufficient existence on a 28 foot sailboat exploring the pacific ocean and, and sh sh sharing the adventure along the way uh the only catch is to the whole thing he's never sailed before <laughs> so um yeah so we're, we're gonna be talking about that whole adventure um you know talking about his 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 journey and um and what he's looking forward to sharing about you know sustainable living the pursuit of his dreams and just the thrill of, of hunting and and uh, catching wild food and or catching wild game uh, fish and, and cooking and, uh, and cooking and having that food on the high seas. So um, stay tuned. Uh, should be a good one this week. Absolutely. If you're into homesteading and basically self-sustainment with nature around us, you're going to, you're going to enjoy this episode. And it is brought to you by ad read time. Well, 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 what do we got here, folks? It's me, your friendly neighborhood gangster. And I've got a hot tip for you. This is a 1920s gangster, by the way. Are you tired of taking for a ride by other wireless carriers paying a king's ransom for your phone service? Well, listen up, pal. 
because I got the inside scoop on Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile, see? <laughs> McCoy, when it comes to wireless, they're offering plans that start just 15 bucks a month. You heard me right, 15 schmackers, and you're still getting top-notch nationwide coverage. Sweet deal. It'll make your head spin. Now, you might be thinking, what's the catch, huh? Well, that's the straight dope, see? Mint Mobile runs on the nation's fastest, most reliable <laughs> network. You won't be losing any of that quality you're used to. No siree. And then, and then Chad GP said it again. It's the real McCoy. And here's the kicker, folks. You ain't locked in. No long-term contracts. Nah. Mint Mobile gives you the flexibility you deserve. You pick a plan that suits you. And if your needs change, your change, your uh, plan changes. Simple as that. No funny business. So what are you waiting for, pal? Head on over to mintmobile.com slash whiskey and check out the goods. They'll even seen a free SIM card. You can get rolling right away. So easy. Even a monster like me can do it. Yeah, mobile. It's wireless the way it should be. Smooth, affordable, and dependable. Don't be a sap. Get wise and go to mintmobile.com slash whiskey. Keep your moolah in your pocket where it belongs. And let's make a deal with Mint Mobile. Fun. <laughs> oh, man. This this podcast is also brought to you by our friends over at Vantage Point Archery and their awesome products. Uh, Vantage Point Archery leads the way in precision machine one-piece products. Uh, they developed the toughest broadheads uh, by which all others in the industry are measured. Um, we know this from our own use and our own personal experience. Um, they have grown rapidly in the past couple of years, and uh, it can only be attributed to the strength, quality, and performance of their uh, commitment to U.S. manufacturing and customer service, uh, which in our opinion is second to none. And we love supporting a great product, and we love supporting American-made products. So that's why we are very proud to have uh, VPA as a, as a sponsor. Absolutely. Single bevel, two blade, three blade, whatever you need. They also have uh, small game thumpers, 200 grain, which I need because these squirrels be eating all my corn. Uh, <laughs> so next time I'm out there, I need to pick up a pack of the small game thumpers, take a couple squirrels with me. But yeah, Precision Machined. Their goal has always Good been stuff. to create and supply durable American-made broadheads to the market to make bow hunting more ethical. All VPA products are CNC machined for one solid piece of bar stock. No weld lines or brazing. They provide our products with ultimate strength and durability. So shoot a brand you can trust, shoot VPA. It's what we always say. <laughs> what we always say. <laughs> so yeah, enjoy this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Enjoy. All right, we are live. Outstanding. Well, thank you, John. Good John here this week with us. Appreciate you. Appreciate you taking some time to, to, to join us. And um, for those who aren't uh, familiar with John, John Schneider, John has a uh, pretty cool platform. He's got a podcast. He's got a YouTube channel. Um, and you just rebranded, I think, right? So you you had a podcast that would that went by Food Afield, and then you re- kind of rebranded that to match what you had going on on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I was finding some problems. Well, first of all, good Gus and Matt, thank you for having me. I really appreciate oh, yeah. the opportunity oh, to be on the show, man. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, rebranded to John Schneider's Wildlife. Um, I don't know. I sort of struggle. Like you guys seem to have nailed the genre or the, you know, they always tell you to grab your niche, you know, and you guys certainly have done that with your show. But I was sort of struggling with the whole wild food thing and the fly fishing and bow hunting. And then I'm throwing in the liveaboard sailboat thing and I'm starting to explore wild food and campfire cooking on the Pacific coast. And it was just getting to be a bit of a gong show as far as what my niche was, what was my show about? And then I thought, you know, the one niche that I'll always have is just me. 
um, and my name. And uh, so, yeah, it just sort of made sense. I had a bunch of people a lot smarter than me tell me not to do it, but I don't know. <laughs> it just felt like the right thing to do. So, yeah, I rebranded everything, the website, the podcast, everything, the YouTube channel, everything is now called John Schneider's Wildlife. So, yeah. what well, I think the, but, the reason they probably said not to is because it's hard to get those people to follow you, but you do such interesting stuff, John. I mean... I mean, we oh, followed thanks. you right along and uh, this uh, sailboat venture. Well, I want to get into it, but I mean, it's so crazy. All the things that you're into and that you do. And, and every time I watch a video of yours, I'm like, is this the same guy? <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're some... kind of a modern day, modern day Renaissance man blended with, uh, um, I don't know, sort of a, uh, you know, with the old explorers that explored the explored the West, you're just you're just doing you're just doing it all um, when it comes to the outdoor stuff. I think it's great. Yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, sometimes it's hard not to think of that as a detriment. You know, like I admire people that are just settled and and in their space, you know, and and doing the thing that they love and are consistent. And I've just never been that guy. Um, it's a personality defect of mine, I guess, which leads to doing some interesting things. And, you know, in fairness, um, I've, I've always been able to prioritize things. You know, I had young children and I had a family and those things were the priority, of course, as they should be. Um, and now something's just presented itself where this new opportunity has come along, where I'm not abandoning any of those uh, commitments anymore. Um, it depends how you look at it, I guess. And people from the outside might not understand my decision to leave a marriage and leave a, uh, uh, leave a place that I've always known to go pursue something else. But I don't know, there's a lot of details as there, are, as there is with any person alive, there's a story, um, that you don't get to hear and that you never will get to hear because it's frankly, none of anybody's business. But, uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a there's a lot of things that went on with this decision to do this, um, not the least of which is that it just was a life that wasn't working anymore. Um, and now everybody seems happier. And, and I mean that sincerely. I'm happier. My wife is happier. My kids are happier uh, for us and everything. I'm trying to do the right thing financially by not disrupting the family. Everybody sort of gets to live in the same place they've always lived and do the same things they've always done. And and if I'm making the decision to change this life, then I will be the one that sort of suffers the consequences of that more than anybody else, at least to the full extent that I can manage. So, yeah. Well, I'm excited to watch it. I mean, it's to like your site is just so full of knowledge. I mean, we I've I've scrolled through so much of it and I watched the podcast the two part with Sean James or listen to the mm -hmm. podcast with Sean James and it's like I mean, every time you talk, it's and the people the guests that you have and like kind of the the valleys that you find yourself in, it's I mean, it's I feel it right at home with kind of the way we look at our lives and how I mean, I don't want to speak for Gus, but the the way we look at life, it's like it's a pursuit of of like you. You only get one of these and I mean, I th I'm, I'm happy for what you're doing and, and I know that it's probably tough at times, but if it's best for everyone, how could it be, how could it be a bad thing? Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I, I agree. Um, change is hard, of course. Um, it, uh, it is full of unknowns. It's full of, um, 
risk. It's full of all of those things, but it's also filled with excitement. It's um, It's been a dream of mine for a long time to live on a sailboat. I've lived in this county for my entire life. So that's 56 years now. Um, and I, again, I admire the people that are able to do that and, and be happy, but I'm just not that guy. It's something I've always been a wanderer. I've always been or wanted to be. I've never been a wanderer, but I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to see the world and meet people and do interesting things. And so I've done that to the best of my ability. So thanks, Matt, for mentioning that, you know, like when you see the things I do, well, that's to the best of my ability within this sphere of influence that I'm in, in this county and in this province. Um, and yeah, now, now, man, it's just time to go and do something else, I think. Right. So. 100%. Does any of this have to do with getting out of Canada? I had to ask. Getting out of no, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I know what you mean, uh, dude. We're not going to go there, are we? Yeah, 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 no, 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 no. I don't want to. No, I just I, wondered. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, where would I go though? Like, yeah. you know, name a place that's better, right? Like everybody's the seems Pacific like Ocean. The Pacific Ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. I today, actually, you mentioned Sean James. I was just, uh, Sean James has a new podcast now. Um, and I was his oh, first cool. guest on that podcast. And that episode was just released today, as a matter of fact. So it's up oh, awesome. on uh, wherever he oh, does his awesome. podcast, YouTube, I think. Um, and uh, so it, there was, a, I'm getting, yeah, there's some people, there is a little bit of hate. You know, but I think there always will be. Um, the vast majority of people are like you that are wishing me well. They, they're assuming that I'm a, a good person doing the right thing, which I believe I am. Um, and so they're wishing me well. But there's a few people that don't quite get it, uh, that don't understand the details behind the story. And like I said earlier, never will. And that's okay. But the, anyways, as it pertains to your story in the Pacific Ocean is uh, I'm getting quite a bit of, well, two or three comments today alone from people that live in Hawaii. And uh, I mean, of course, they had their problems too this summer with that huge fire. But, um, you know, that seems to be, there's places, I guess, that are remote like that, that maybe don't have to deal with sort of the political climate that we're faced with here in North America, it seems. So, Yeah. The, the least, the less I have to do with people, the better, I guess. Within reason, that sounds stupid because here I am <laughs> putting my life out for people to consume. But um, I don't know. My goal, I guess, is to try to just get people to, or, or to uh, present to people an alternative lifestyle that maybe is achievable for anyone. Um, you know, I'm not a millionaire by a long shot. Um, and so I'm trying to do things affordably I'm trying to live this lifestyle as self-sufficiently as I can. And, um, and I think that's my goal with this whole thing. It's always been my goal is here's something, here's good food that you can eat. Here's really good food that you can eat. Um, and you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars to achieve it. Right. So you can do it yourself. And then, you know, that's just what I'm doing now with the sailboat is an extension of that. I think. Yeah. Can we get into uh, how you kind of how you got started? Because I know you were, was it? Did you start with the farming kind of deal, or, or that just that came with it? Uh, how how I got started with like uh, with the whole wild food thing, Matt? Or 
Yeah, just the lifestyle that you live and, and like traditional bow oh. hunting and, and just all that stuff. Yeah. Um, geez, that started from as early as I can remember. Uh, seven or eight years old, in around there, I was just hunting and fishing crazy. I had nobody in my life that was like that or that um, could help me out with that at all. Um you know, dad didn't hunt or fish. I didn't have uncles or anybody that did. Um, and so it was just one of those weird genetic throwbacks to somebody that had to kill stuff and eat it, you know. And um, like I was I was kind of crazy about cooking even. I remember as a kid, like that was a big deal for me to cook something. And so as soon as I could get out, and the, mom wouldn't let me have a gun. And so, you know, I think that was every kid's dream was to have a 22, right? Or a 410 shotgun or something like that. But there was no way that was going to happen in my house. And, uh, but mom did agree to let me have a bow. And back then we're talking about late seventies, um, compound bows were incredibly expensive at the time. I guess they still are. Um, but you know, what I could afford or what I could have was a little green Ben Pearson fiberglass recurve bow. And, uh, you know, my, I think at the time my mom thought, you know, well, what, what kind of trouble could I cause with that? And yeah, guys, I just spent my entire, every spare minute I had after school and summer vacations out in the bush, chasing things around, right. And starting campfires and building forts and learning bushcraft skills and cooking stuff and how I didn't die. I don't know, because, you know, the amount of raw grouse and rabbit that I ate over the years because I didn't know how to cook stuff. <laughs> I guess that's my immunity that's built up, but yeah, that's where it all started. And then it's just never ended. It's been that, you know, then what a lot of people don't know about me, I guess I'm not a trained chef or anything, but um, I was involved with an organization called Slow Food. So Slow Food International is a huge organization that it just is what it sounds. It's an organization that has to do with food. So it's uh, food producers, chefs, anybody that has anything to do with food in a non, you know, a non-commodity standpoint, you know, like small producers and small and chefs. And so anyways, um, I did quite a bit of work with them and was president of the local chapter here in Alberta, in Edmonton, and was actually lucky enough in 2012, I went to Turin, Italy, and I spoke uh, in front of, like, it's a huge event, people from all over the planet. So I was speaking in front of thousands of people, and I was talking about um, ancient and heirloom grains. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the discussion there, as you spend your days wandering around this huge exposition, you're talking with people that are farming proteins and dairy and all sorts of stuff. So, and that's how I met a lot of chefs friends that I call friends now. And that's where I learned a lot of uh, the skills that I have for cooking food now. It's also sort of how I met Kevin Coswin and Kevin is the creator of the web series uh, From the Wild. So I've been one of the main characters on that show now for 10 years. We're filming our 10th season now. So yeah, it's just been a thing that's sort of always been around my life, you know, is, is hunting with a bow and uh, cooking food, you know? And so now I'm just going to do that and, and extend or expand that out onto the ocean with the sailboat. Yeah. That's awesome. We're, uh, we're starting our 
cooking venture probably i guess we're probably two years into it um yeah but working yeah. with chefs and learning knife skills and how to make certain things and, and different cuts of meat and the way to do it but um, we've been preparing deer meat for years but it's a lot yeah. of fun to take natural ingredients around you and kind of mix it all together yeah. it's yeah. funny funny you mentioned uh, heirloom grains it, that is actually one of the sort of um, catalyst or, or if you will, that sort of got us more involved with some of the local chefs. Um, there's a local distillery here in Charleston that uses, um, an heirloom corn to, to, to make their bourbon. And, um, we got to, to know them and some of the chefs, uh, some of the owners of the, um, the mill and, and sort of the, some of the chefs they're involved with. And it, it's such a small community, you know, when you get to know people and who's, who's doing what in that community. And, uh, it's been yeah. really, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Good for you guys. That's awesome. It's awesome. There's, uh, yeah, we've played around with so many things, you know, like, uh, down in grasslands where we hunt antelope and mule deer and stuff. There's a lot of food, there's sage that grows down there and there's, uh, the farmers are growing corn and peas and we're hunting waterfowl and upland birds. And so it's kind of fun to play around with some of those foraged foods, you know, like corn, you guys have a lot of corn, I'm assuming um down in your neck of the woods don't you oh, soybeans yeah. Maybe, yeah, everywhere. Like yeah right a lot of it's like um, number two yellow number two dent or number two yellow dent corn uh, is the majority of it but uh, gus was talking oh. about jimmy red corn which was uh invented or not invented but the name comes from a place called james island which is in south carolina and um marsh hen mills we had him on and he talked i mean we probably talked for an hour just about corn and it was very fascinating very fascinating well, there's an old adage that goes with food, and if it grows together, it goes together. So, you know, you can find these yeah. local ingredients that where the white acorns or different nuts or different fruits that live in the in the whitetail woods. And so I have a lot of fun with not only the food aspect of it, but exactly what you just touched on, Gus. You know, like, so a big... Um, a big uh, tradition with us, I guess, or a habit is that we have happy hour uh, before dinner when we're out in camp. So we play around with foraged cocktails. We will make cocktails or drinks. Um, usually we're trying to find ingredients that are really cool and local. Like, uh, you know, um, like my favorite cocktail is called a sidecar. So it's a citrus based you know, whiskey sour type of thing. And uh, mm -hmm. so up here we have uh, a plan. I don't know if you have it, but it's called sea buckthorn. And it's just a berry that grows and it's very citrus-like. It's very orange-like, but it's a little tiny berry. So, you know, we make, that's our citrus component, right? And then we do all sorts of foraged bitters and uh, things like that. A, a girl that I'm seeing now, um, she is big into foraging and, and making cocktails and things like that so she you know she's doing a lot of that sort of stuff but it's uh it's fun to see how far you can it's a challenge and it's really fun to see how far you can take something and it's not being pretentious right like i don't know you guys probably don't feel that when you're when you're weirding out on heirloom corn right i mean it's just right. awesome right like it's um you're not trying to be fancy or pretentious about it. You're just trying to explore these different flavors and different ingredients that might come along that people aren't used to. Right. And what's wrong with that? So yeah, we do a lot of that. Yeah. I saw on your uh, YouTube shorts there that your favorite cocktail was the sidecar. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So now, so the more I broadcast that, the more places I go, the more people want to make me sidecars. So that's, that's my goal. That's a, with that, that's a good thing. Broad, yeah. Broadcast that everywhere. Exactly. If you find yourself sailing to the Atlantic and uh, stop in Charleston, we'll make you, we'll make you a sidecar too. Nice. Like a bourbon based. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Nice. So I should do that. eh? like, I, you know, it, it's one of those things where I don't even know how to sail yet. Right. So it's one of, <laughs> it's kind of stupid to sit here and talk about, Oh yeah, no, I'll totally come to, <laughs> but you know, there's no way on earth that I'm going to be sitting in a sailboat and not wonder what it's like to go in that direction until I, you know, until I run into another piece of land. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know what I'll do. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's, uh, you plan it with the weather because I've heard that the weather can be dangerous on a boat. <laughs> well, I'm learning so many things now. Like, so for instance, it's, you think to yourself, well, it's totally easy to just swing down the West coast and hit California and Mexico and whatever, but it's kind of a six or seven month deal because you can't just sail back. Like with the currents and the prevailing winds, you know, sailing down isn't a problem, but if you want to get back to like Vancouver Island, which is where we'll be based, you have to actually sail out into the Pacific and hit like Hawaii or beyond and come around in a big circle. Right. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I'll be like Robinson Crusoe. You'll never hear from me again. I'll be on <laughs> some <laughs> Island somewhere like Gilligan. So I guess you, you get yourself a Starlink set up on your boat so you can stay in touch. That's where I was going. Are, are you going to get Starlink? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, I don't think we've ordered it yet, but it's certainly on the agenda. Yeah. I'm actually just heading down back down to the boat tomorrow morning, like four o'clock in the morning, we'll start driving. Cause it's about, an, it's about a 12 hour drive to get down there. And, uh, yeah, another, just doing a week of cleanup and, uh, some projects like electrical work and things like that, getting it ready to, uh, and then we'll go down again in December. We'll spend Christmas down there, um, uh, Rondeline and I. And then uh, what else? Then come January, February, March, we'll just do a few more weeks of projects. And, and then the plan is to have it out of the water and sort of refit it sometime in like March or April, I want to say, maybe late February. Um, and just make sure all the mechanics of it underneath are all you know, good to go. And then it'll go on the water. And so this summer we want to actually be out sailing it. That's the goal anyway. So yeah, look at, you know, yeah, boats are a lot of work. You know, a boat stands for, right? Bring, bring out another thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We heard that. And we've also got two foot itis is another thing where you, uh, you know, we have a 28 foot liveaboard sailboat and about five yeah. boats down from us is a 30 foot. And we're, we're looking at it going, Oh yeah, that's only another 10 grand, you know, like <laughs> <we're>, we <laughs> could sure use need. that extra two feet. <laughs> so we'll see. That's funny. <clears throat> that's the, uh, the guy that married me, he, um, that's what he does. He's, he's a sailboat captain and, um, he does like sailing stuff from florida to the bahamas all the time like missionary type of type of thing but he runs a sail school and i went down there and uh when i was a kid i don't remember but i spent a summer down there plantation key and uh learned how to sail it was pretty cool got hit with the boom a bunch <laughs> that's well i didn't know that about you matt that's awesome so do you have any ideas about getting back on a boat ever or is it just something you're not interested in 
Um, probably not. It it looks very relaxing, but it just seems like um, I don't know. I like to just I like to be out. I get claustrophobic just like sitting, you know, at work, and I just got to get outside and walk around a little bit. I don't know how I would fare on a on a boat. I've always wanted to go on like a, a two or three day trip somewhere just to yeah. see if I could do it. I mean, I know I can do it mentally, but would I get there and decide to fly home? I don't know. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because we're actually thinking about one of the ways of maybe supporting this lifestyle is to offer those kind of charters, you know, like, like there's so many things to do food wise and hunting wise there. I'm really excited about uh, black bear hunting on the coast. I mean, I've done that a bunch already anyways, but um, black bear hunting on the coast is amazing um, as, as, as is blacktail hunting. Um, there's good elk hunting on Vancouver Island and then, you know, I'm not going to abandon inland stuff either. So the idea is to maintain, um, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'll maintain, I, I shouldn't speak yet because I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll either maintain a Alberta residence and then stay hunting in Alberta from time to time, or I will take a BC residence and explore all those opportunities and then just get friends to hunt or host me back in Alberta. So we'll see. I don't know which way I'm going to go. I can do either way. So it uh, we'll see what happens. But How many freezers are on the boat? Sorry. Yeah, right? Well, that's <laughs> one of the things that we're talking about doing is like, um, so we have friends. There's a friend, Chef Jade Berg, who lives in Campbell River. I've got friends that live on the island. I've got another friend who you might want to have on the show, actually, Blaine Prouse. He is stump stalker, ar- archery, and he lives on Haida Gwaii. Um, and so that's an island that's not that far away from uh, Alaska. Um, so, you know, um, they don't know it yet, but the idea is to ask them if we can plug a freezer in, you know, in their garage or something like that. Right. So we'll see, we'll, we'll wrangle some deals out of guys here and there and, and have little maybe caches of frozen, uh, wild game sitting around the region. Um, we are going to get a freezer on the boat but like you said it's not that big the other thing we want to do then is exploring other ways to preserve food right so canned meat um and things like that dried meat of course and dehydrated meat things like that so we'll explore all of those things but i think the reality is is that i will switch over to you know a pretty hardcore seafood diet right like there's there's crabs are available year round, prawns, spot prawns, uh, uh, shellfish, and then of course fishing. Like I've never, I've joked about it, but it's true. I don't, I've never been skunked on the ocean. Like you know, people, people want to go salmon fishing, of course, all the time, and I have been skunked salmon fishing. But whenever I get bored of just trolling around looking for salmon, I just say, hey, can we stop the boat right over there? And I don't even know what I'm doing. It's just, you know, right over there looks good. And and you drop hooks down to the bottom and you're catching rockfish and all sorts of different flounder and cod and all sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah, I think the idea is to uh, hunt strategically, um, share the food as best I can so that I'm not stockpiling a bunch of it in different places. And then, you know, that enables me to still enjoy those hunting opportunities as much as I can. Right. So we'll see, we'll strike a balance between all of it and then, you know, keep it interesting for us and keep it interesting for people watching the show for sure. How are you, how, what's your upload schedule you think for, um, for the channel once you get it on the boat? 
Uh, once a week. So the once idea right now is we're releasing episodes every Friday. I will probably not release an episode tomorrow because I just don't have one quite ready yet. It's been a mad dash with Harvest and getting stuff ready and then trying to balance it as well with because I just started the channel not that long ago. So I don't have a great stockpile of footage. But I mean, I could certainly release another episode to do with Harvest or something like that. But I've already done that. So I don't know what to do there, guys. It's uh trying to keep it interesting for people i'm trying to let them know just you know the life that i lead but um i think the idea is to go down tomorrow i might just release something short and quick uh tonight uh tomorrow i have a few things kind of in the can ready to go um but then i think the idea is to get down on the boat start working on these projects start showing people the boat a little more start start showing a bit of the life on the boat because that will be the the primary sort of set for the show moving forward and then yeah the idea matt is to release those episodes every friday so yeah that seems to be the i'll give you to do i'll give you another idea when you get starlight because we we have a friend that just did this and he went from zero followers created a well i don't think he had zero maybe like a hundred and um he went live every day for the month of july for like eight hours just working on the boat making food he's a he's, it was called a food boat and uh he's making food all the stuff did it all through um starlight and had a switchboard for the two or three different cameras he had and yeah. uh it became like a hangout spot by the end of the 30 days there were people begging him not to go back to work like keep doing this he took vacation for a month and did it but it wow. he got monetized in, in like i don't know five six days um wow. but that might be something to think about just live streaming it's hard to imagine, right? Like, really? Like, hmm, I don't know. They'd see me cracking a beer every now and then, and they'd see me procrastinating, not, uh, you know, putting off that electrical work I need to do. And I don't know. That seems a little too late. It's relatable, though. Yeah. It's everybody <laughs> it seems a little too real for me. I don't know. Well, the other thing, too, is he had an Amazon, like, GoFundMe page. And uh, he's like, you know, I could really use this or whatever. And it would show up three or four days later. Somebody would buy it for him. Um, Jeez. Yeah. And then they, then now your audience is invested. Hey, get off your ass and go over there and install this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> advice, Matt. I might I might do that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, how are you, how are you guys? Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to ask how you guys are filming, uh, like in, in terms of equipment and and your preferred uh, your choices for that. I know some some channels do a lot of this stuff just with kind of handheld gimbals and and iPhones, and obviously there's you can get super technical. So how do, how are you guys doing that and managing that while you're out on the water? So photography is a bit of a hobby of mine. I've been doing it for a while on Instagram. Uh, I haven't done a lot of filming, but I've collected some gear. So um, I have an old Canon uh, 7D Mark II DSLR. It's a professional grade camera, but I bought it used. So I think I paid 600 bucks for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. What people need to understand is how broke I am. So, you know, I've spent a life building this farm and this farm business, and it's sustaining our family. It's sustaining my wife and I. We were mortgaged, we're debt free. Um, and, and it's paying us some money and we're living and paying our bills. So, you know, I could be, a, I could be the guy and again, not getting into details, but I am completely within my rights to just 
you know, have the place be sold and take half my money. The plan is to not do that. The plan is to just not disrupt things. And a lot of people are telling me that's, that's not the right thing to do, that I've worked too hard at this all my life. But anyways, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So I'm broke. But what I have done is that through the podcast and through my hobby of photography, I've collected some gear. So I've got the little DSLR. Uh, well, not to, not so little, but it shoots in 1080, which I think is fine. I've got a GoPro 7 that barely works. It's such a piece of it. I hate it just is always cutting out, but whatever. I can get the odd piece of footage out of it. And then I've got a DG, DJI Ma, a Mini uh, Mini 2 drone. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, I've got the iPhone. We I just bought a cheap gimbal. Well, it's not so cheap. It was, I think, 300 bucks. But anyways, I bought a gimbal for the phone. Actually, uh, SAS bought the gimbal, and she's talking about doing some footage. So it's her gimbal, I guess. Um, and what else? I guess that's about it. And then I've got uh, the audio recording equipment. So I've got a fairly nice audio recording setup um, to try to capture some of that foley that is around as far as sounds go along the ocean. So we'll limp along with that stuff. Um, I don't know. You guys can tell me what you think about the quality. I mean, I'm trying my best. The The GoPro gives good quality and the and the, the Mini 2 gives good quality. Uh, the DSLR, uh, I'm learning how to use better and better. So it's starting to get there. But, you know, that's, yeah. Do you have what these? Is, what is that? The Rode, the Rode my, uh, Mini Mics? Or the road goes. Oh. No, no, I've never. No, I have not but used those. I'm gonna tell you, it's a workhorse. If you're if you're filming with a camera or a GoPro or anything, you can use these. But it's a two piece setup. This goes on the camera, and then you have another one that you can run a live mic, or you can literally just clip it onto your shirt. Um, but it's wireless and it works fantastic. And they're not super expensive. I think they're. I'd have to check. I haven't bought them in a while, but I think a three pack was like hundred bucks. What? Really? And the quality is good. It's my, it's my workhorse. I use it. Oh yeah. Almost every video we post. Oh, no. Every video we post on Instagram uses these. Oh wow. Like that has okay. sound. You put that in the show notes. When I come back to look later, I can see it. Well, I'll drop it down for everybody. I'll make a note. Yeah. Perfect. Yep, yep, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll see what, what happened. I do like that live thing. We were talking about doing some other things to create value for people like YouTube now has like the different layers uh, so you can monetize i think i could monetize now uh not with ad revenue but with um you know just uh you know through memberships or subs mm -hmm. what you know what i'm talking about the different mm -hmm. levels of subscriptions that you can sell so i don't know one of the things we were talking about was doing like a live session like just like what we're doing now like once a once a month or something like that but what you're saying is to do it every day for a month so i'll have to get my head wrapped around that but you know we were you know it's just fun right we're sitting here talking the three of us i'm in northern alberta canada you guys are way down on the southeast coast and uh we're sitting here chatting and you know like old friends right so that appeals to me a lot um to be able to do stuff like that live so yeah, you're giving me ideas for sure. We'll see what what sticks. It's definitely a lot of fun, and he had a great time doing it. It's a lot of work, you know, but it, it gets you motivated to to do it every day. 
But I think it, I mean, I would definitely tune in to see your, like you're launching today and here's the 10 first mistakes you've made and, and everything you're learning in the next five, 10 days. Cause you know, it's going to happen. You're going to get out there and be like, man, we did not think about that. Oh, guaranteed, Matt. Yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah. It's already happening. So, you know, we're, yeah, no, I don't even want to get started with all that. It, yeah. There's, there's things that you have not contemplated, like that are definitely coming up already. So, yeah. And you know what, that's the thing too, right? Is like, um, I will not have a problem with being authentic with this because, you know, I don't know. Uh, I just, I don't think that way. It, it's kind of fun to show what an idiot I am at times, right? Where you're just like, you know, like, I I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to try my best. And of course you do your pre-work, you do your research ahead of time as best you can. But until you do it a few times, you're going to be a noob at it, right? So yeah, it'll mm -hmm. be fun to show that for sure. I don't plan on cutting any of that sort of stuff out. That's good. It's, that's that's yeah. what people subscribe to see is the real stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, those those shows you see guys and you know they uh everything is picture perfect all the time every hunt goes just right every you know every time they put the boat in they launch it you know they they have a great day on the water and it, everybody knows everybody sees right through it that's not that's not realistic you know we all know that yeah, you you go to the field and, and you you don't see anything sometimes it's just the way it is yeah right yeah but Gus, well then why are so many people tuned into those shows though like those are the big money shows that you're talking about that are so popular it, it drives me nuts right like yeah there there's is an appeal the to last, it yeah why is it that the last day of every episode is the day that they crush something and eat it you know like give me a break but anyways i think it's maybe that's by design happened. i think it's a recipe I, right they found the recipe and and they they cook the same meal every episode and and it's and i think that's i really think that's what it is well it seems that way to me but whatever i'm not going to call anybody a liar so we'll see yeah for sure yeah for sure yeah are you guys getting into some hunting now you must be by now yes sir uh our season started august 15th which is pretty crazy and that's yeah. that's bow or rifle yeah it's yeah. one of the longest longest seasons in the country it goes from august 15th to, to january 1st yeah and you guys can shoot what like 50 deer each or something like that down there <laughs> i wish i think it's a good well, night. i think you i think your tags come with two bucks and four does and then you can buy additional yeah. doe tags and then some years they have doe days where you can go to public land and get a free doe mm, neat yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not, that's reasonable. I was kind of joking, but yeah, there's, I hear some states down there that are just getting overrun with deer where you're allowed to shoot a deer yeah. a day. Yeah. We're not like I know that. States. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of places that are, uh, that are overrun with does. People just aren't killing enough does and it's, um, it's, it's beginning to be a problem. So they're encouraging, encouraging, you know, taking does as much as possible for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, um, food nowadays that that would be a problem you'd think people would be right filling their freezers like crazy right when was yeah. the last time you bought meat oh 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a good question. Uh, years. Um, but it depends what kind of meat you're talking about. Red meat? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Decades even maybe. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you bought but, chicken. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean is red meat. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I th- yeah. We bought chicken here and there, but even then, you know, you know, we have, I've had some rough grouse in the freezer and different birds, you know, upland birds and things like that. So not very often. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? Uh, we just recently found out how terrible the food is for you. And uh, <laughs> so um, I haven't bought meat in quite some time. It's been a couple of months, but uh, I, I cheated and bought a half a cow. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm hoping to fill the freezer with venison this year. But I, I hope to never buy meat again. I want to get away from buying anything from the store. I just don't trust it anymore. That's my goal too, Matt. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people say that you can't do that. And I'm sure they're right. Um, there are going to be some things that you need to buy, but man, like challenge accepted, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sugar and salt and things like that. Like, uh, I don't know. Um, there's, there's alternatives, isn't there? And, um, you know, I kind of like, so that when I was farming and doing this, the homestead thing, um, that was always a big thing for me is like, well, you know, everybody's saying, well, you can't do that or it's impossible or whatever. Well, it was possible for our grandparents and their parents and every other generation before that for the last however many hundreds of thousands of years. So, you know, it's um, to me, it is something it's like I love that idea, Matt, is like just see what, you, you know, and you don't have to do it all. Like I was just talking with uh, who was I talking to about that with homesteading? And I, well, I've just made a, recent, a few posts on it, actually. It's like you don't have to do it all. Like maybe yeah. Gus has the beef and Matt has the pork and I have the chicken and, or, you know, whatever. And we just trade around with each other to do the same amount of work. So I don't know. I'm a, yeah. I'm a big fan of creating community with people around me that. Because if you try to do it all, you're just going to end up doing none of it, right? It's going to collapse under its own weight. You know, you're going to run out of time and energy eventually, as I did. And um, yeah, so good for you. I love that. That's great Def- ambition. Definitely can't do it all. You you got to have people around you that are willing to do some of it too. And because uh, even just doing simple things like mint and oregano, and th- you know, and then we supply our own meat, but it's like we still got to go buy lettuce somewhere. And we get, you know, I don't really eat lettuce, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but maybe you can find somebody nearby and do a trade for some venison or catfish or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if you find some people that uh, are around you that are doing that sort of thing, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I want to stock the freezer and definitely try to trade some venison for other types of meat, specifically bacon. Bacon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and wild pigs. Do you have wild pigs down there that can accomplish that? We do, do yeah. indeed. Yeah, I just need yeah. to go get them. That's the we know where they are. They're they're pretty much in the same section of the national forest uh, all the time. It's just oh yeah, going out there and making the commitment to do it. You know, working full time and then whiskey my tails and family and 
I mean, Gus, yeah. he, you know, he's got it, three kids and sports and <laughs> I don't know how he does yeah, this. It's, I don't know how I do it either, but, uh, <laughs> And it's not just, you know, it's not just a, uh, it's not like a day trip. Usually you got to plan a couple of days. You got to take a canoe mm-hmm. up, uh, up river to the, to the, the swamp area where they're at and kind of then locate them there. You generally know where they're at. And then, then you're fighting mosquitoes and snakes and everything else that wants to kill you while you're trying to kill a, uh, <laughs> kill a hog and hope, hopefully come out of there with a couple, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely around. Yeah. Well, Hey, I'll give you guys some, some, uh, well, not advice, but some, um, uh, optimism is that you'll be shocked at how soon, like you guys are in the heat of battle right now with kids and family and thing like that. But man, that ends in a hurry, man. Like I'm 56 now and uh, you just think it's never going to end. Right. And then all of a sudden the next thing you know, they're driving like they're 14 and driving a car and they're 16 and they're really driving a car and they're 17 or 18 and they're off to college. And then you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. So it comes, <laughs> comes pretty fast. Yeah. 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 I try to enjoy it as much as I can and, and not get too wrapped up in, uh, you know, the, the downside of it being so busy. Cause yeah, you're yeah. right. It's, it, it goes by way too fast. Yeah, exactly. Good for you, Gus. Yeah. The, um, you mentioned, um, uh, black bear and some other stuff earlier. What's, what is your favorite thing to hunt? Like, what do you, what do you really like to get out and get after with your bow? Oh man, that's, Hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed your, 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 your podcast and your talk with uh, Clay Newcomb and about black yeah. bear and, and some of the stuff yeah. you guys got into. Um, yeah. I, mean, I didn't know if that was just what, what's your, uh, what's your go-to your preferred. Yeah. You know, I guess I would have to, it depends what you're, yeah, I guess I would say black bear Gus, because like, you know, just the act of spot and stalking black bear is pretty exciting. So it's, it offers that entertainment value that, you know, let's be real. That's what we look for when we're out hunting, right? But then it sure. offers that that culinary value. Like, so bear meat is so versatile. It tastes like nothing else out there. It is a sort of a, uh, it's a flavor acceptor type of meat where you can turn yeah. black bear meat into good old-fashioned southern barbecue or Korean food or just anything it can uh, it really takes a lot of different flavors well then you've got if you especially if you shoot a fall bear you've got all that fat and lard which can be used for so many things both cooking um yeah. and industrial use like like bear grease you know for boots and and waterproofing um and then you've got the fur as an outcome as well so i don't know right behind right. me i don't know if you can see it you know like my bedspread is you know, a big seven foot black bear that I shot a couple of years ago. So there's, so there's all wow. that utility that comes from a bear. Um, and, uh, I, I do love that. I mean, deer hunting's deer hunting yeah. is awesome. Uh, and I sure. love venison. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if you gave yeah. me one more thing to hunt, it would probably be a black bear. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're an awesome resource. We, I don't think we get them that big here in, in South Carolina though. Yeah. You know, seven foot's huge. That's yeah. a big black bear. What's it like? Yeah, getting- I was- that close to a black bear that big with a recurve oh well this bear that's on my bed right here was a rifle kill from two years ago but that was at 40 yards and so as soon as i did that i went you know i was kind of regretting it because i easily could have gotten closer but i killed one almost identical uh several years before that with my recurve and that was at 12 uh 12 steps and um 
on the ground. Yeah. So that was a spot in stock to within 12 steps. And being honest with you, the bear came to me for the last uh, hundred yards or so. So I just got lucky and the bear worked his way right into me uh, down an old logging road. Um, so yeah, it's exhilarating. It's, but you know, what's funny, you know, I can sit here and say to myself, well, there's this thought that goes through your mind that this animal is something that you're hunting that could easily just turn around and hunt you. Right. And by, yeah, for sure. I mean, there was just an incident up here in uh, Alberta, like a couple of weeks ago where a couple got killed. So bears are dangerous and, and, uh, they can mess you up. Uh, and there's a great story on my podcast. My friend Jeff runs, uh, an outfitting company in Northern BC and a bear came into the tent and, uh, you know, ripped one of the guides up really bad. And then one of the hunters actually shot him uh, as he's shooting the bear, you know, like it's a great story. If anybody wants to go and listen to that story, it's Jeff Lander. Um, So yeah, the bear comes into the wall tent in the middle of the night and starts mauling the guy in his sleeping bag. And uh, the guy's yelling, shoot it, shoot it. And one of the hunters grabs his rifle and shoots and, and shoots the guy in the elbow and shoots again and, and kills the bear. So, you know, at the at the end, so it was uh, several minutes of, <laughs> you can imagine what the sounds Absolutely. were, right, in the darkness. And, um, and then, you know, the lights come on, they get things organized, and there's just blood everywhere, like in, inside this wall tent and, the, and a dead bear laying in the middle of the wall tent. So bears can do a lot of damage, but you know, what's interesting is when I'm hunting them and I get close to them, none of that, all of that goes away. There's none of those feelings of being worried about it or being afraid. You know, I find that really fascinating. It goes back to, it must go back to when we were, well, we are the predator, but you know what I'm trying to say? It must go back to the times when we were just holding a stick and a sharpened stone and uh, the benefits were outweighing the risks, you know, because they certainly don't now, right? Like what would you, would either of you hunt a bear like within 12 steps if you, if you thought, or if you knew that you were going to get hurt or killed, like probably not. Right. But back in the day when you had, you know, a family, you know, your family's survival depended on that or your tribe or whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know. I find that whole thing interesting that those feelings of danger sort of go away. But yet if you're hiking, if you're hiking and, you know, whatever, holding a fly rod or something, I guess you would have those feelings, right? You'd be scared crapless, right? Well, I don't know. I see people walk up to them and try to take pictures with them all the time. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is ill-advised. Don't do that. But yeah, there's definitely some primal stuff that comes out in you in hunting. And and I mean, you can notice it on an, almost any kind of hunt where it's just yeah. the feelings that you get. I mean, for someone that's never hunted before, you can't even explain it. It's just the adrenaline dump yeah. and the, and it's like, where does all that come from? It's got to be the reward system of knowing what you just did to provide for your family or tribe or, or yeah. you know, just the ritual yeah. of the hunt itself. I, I always describe I, it I to think... new hunters, you know, sorry, go ahead, Gus. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just gonna say, I think it is very primal and it's, I've, I've never hunted bear, but I've been in situations, uh, where the, these, the situation is dangerous, but you have to, you have to move forward. You have to, you have to continue forward. Otherwise it, it's only more dangerous. 
And in that moment, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about the end goal and what you have to do. And it's really only afterwards when you kind of do a little self-reflection that you realize, man, I, I was a step or two from, from dying today. If, if I hadn't been careful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. there's something very, very primal, primal about it where your, your brain shuts that off and it doesn't allow you to process that because it'd be detrimental otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. Um, I always tell new hunters, you know, that what that feeling is the adrenaline, they don't get it. Right. Because, you know, what, like if, if you weren't a hunter, when would you ever feel that feeling? Right. So I always tell people this, imagine that you're in a near miss car accident, you know, like a near miss where you, you know, and your heart is just pounding. Um, but you come out of it without a scratch. Right. And then you're happy. And so times that by, you know, a hundred or, or make that feeling last for, uh, 15 minutes. And then that's kind of the equivalent of what you would have. Right. It's this feeling of, I don't, I just can't explain it. Your heart is just pounding. And so anyways, none of the listeners here will, will be, uh, unaccustomed to that feeling, but yeah, describing it to new people is, is pretty interesting, isn't it? And uh, another story I can share with you is, um, I, years ago now I killed a cougar. Um, we killed three cougars in three days between three of us. And I was hunting with my old vine maple self bow, a rose shaft arrow and some heads that I had, I had napped out of Flint. And, and so I, we got this, we trailed this cougar with the dogs and it had it treed in a big ponderosa tree up on a ridge and um, it was a really hard hunt. We had gone after it for several miles through, you know, thigh deep snow. And it was only about eight, nine feet in the air. And for me to get a shot through to this thing, I only had to be maybe eight feet away from the trunk of the tree. So it was basically like right above me. Um, and I shot. And again, there's no feeling of, of danger whatsoever. It's like, okay, I need to kill this thing because I want to eat it. And uh, so you're just in that mindset. And I put an arrow right through the boiler room and this thing jumped out of the tree over our heads. So, you know, the video is like uh, this arrow zipping through the cougar. And then all of a sudden the camera goes down and you can hear my friend grunting <laughs> as he's sprinting, right? He's like, arr, 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 as he's running. <laughs> This cougar just went flying right over our heads and uh, ran down the mountainside and piled up a few hundred yards down the down the road or down the uh, the slope of the mountain. So yeah, it's funny, hey, how those feelings just disappear from you. Do you think yeah. the feelings of success feel better when you know that you made that arrowhead? I've never done that, obviously. Yeah, that's a weird one, hey. I sort of battle with that because it verges on the on the you know, I mentioned this word already, so I'm overusing it, but it, it verges on being pretentious about things a little bit, right? It's like, so yeah, so, you know, I'm, am I being a douche because I mentioned that I made this vine maple self bow and the rose shaft arrow shaft, you know, rose uh, Not to me. arrow shaft. Yeah. But you know, so it's interesting. So do I feel better about that kill because of that gear? And I guess the answer would be yes, because I mentioned it. If I didn't feel any better about it, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it. So, but it is interesting, isn't it? Does that make me a better hunter than somebody who didn't do that? Well, no, a hundred percent not. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I find that sort of discussion interesting. 
you know, a guy using a compound bow or a, or a guy using a rifle or a guy or a girl using a, uh, whatever legal means there is to hunt. And then there's the whole thing too, with like, um, should you be using a weapon that is the most efficient at killing things? Right. Because that's the most humane thing to do. So yeah, it's a debate that <laughs> rages between people who are willing to die on whatever hill they're on. And I tend not to take that stance. I, I do some rifle hunting. I would, you know, the one thing I've never done that I would love to try is shotgunning deer. That's not a thing up here really at all. And, uh, I've, I've always wanted to do that. So yeah, I've used a compound bow. I've used my, my, uh, hipster archery equipment. I've used a <laughs> nice custom recurve. I've, yeah, I've done it all. And, uh, it's all just at the end of the day, it's pretty interesting to have, you know, a meal made out of something that you've had a hand in harvesting and processing yourself. I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's a, I would love to know what that feels like to, cause I don't have a re I own a recurve. I have a 1964 Fred bear. It's a 56 pound, um, good bow. I've never killed anything with it, but, uh, I practice with it all the time. So I've got like the, you know, that muscle memory thing kind of dialed down, Yeah. but yeah, I wonder if like your first time shooting something, shooting a deer with a recurve, if you're going to doubt, if I'm going to doubt myself and be like, and screw it up. That's that, that's the reason I don't oh. take it with me. Yeah. Uh, I would think no. Number one, I mean, I see your compounds bow on the wall behind you there, Matt. So I would, I would assume that you're really proficient at shooting a bow out to 50, 60 yards, something like that. Right. I mean, you, you practice with it and you're extending that range out as far as you can. Right. So with a recurve, you just won't do that. Um, you will limit your shots to within 20 yards or even 15 yards. I think I was talking with, who was I talking, Randy Cooling, or uh, I forget who I was talking about now, where they had done a study or they referred to a study that showed that uh, I think it was 500 different hunters had reported their success back. And the so can you guess what the average distance was for um, a hunter being successful with a deer with a recurve? Either of you? I, I would, I'd think pretty slow, pretty low, like 10 yards. 12 to 15 yards. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 14 and a half yards. That was the average. So, you know, um, to me, I think that's what attracts me to traditional bow hunting more than anything is just that I face that limitation. So I live in a world where, you know, if I don't shoot a whitetail this year, that's okay. Um, I've got friends that will share venison and have in the past, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to starve, right? I can go to a grocery store and I can buy meat, right? But um, by limiting yourself to that sort of uh, hunting opportunity, like, like that 12-yard opportunity, I don't know. It creates more time in the field, which is enjoyable. Um, it creates more uh, challenge, which is enjoyable. Um, and then, yeah, you're not going to miss. At 12 yards, you're not going to miss. You know, you can pretty much shoot with your eyes closed kind of thing it's just that close right so yeah i don't know teach their own right you one day you might want to do it and try it and then yeah i don't know it'll it'll appeal to you or or it won't and that's okay i've thought about taking it with me and just kind of 
having it there. And if the opportunity arises using it, otherwise use the compound bow, but and then it's just one more thing to lug up a tree. So <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I'm a big not to do it. And I just need to. Yeah. Do yeah. I'm a big proponent of like, uh, creating intention with my trips, right? So I will be the guy that goes, yeah, you know what? I'm going to kill a mule deer with my 20 gauge shotgun. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to do. If I fail at it, great. If I, you know, hopefully I, I'm successful at it. And I'll probably keep trying until I am successful. And um, I don't know, for me, that's what creates a lot of the enjoyment is, you know, setting that goal of I want to shoot the biggest deer that I can or I want to shoot the smallest deer that I can. Like this year, my goal is to shoot the smallest deer that I can find because they give you a different out food outcome, right? It's pretty special. So I haven't had a fawn in several years now, and that's one of my goals, right? So it doesn't mean that if that huge, you know, 160 class, you know, walks past me, then I'm not going to shoot it. But um, it, it, yeah, it, and so what's interesting about that is when you make that intention, what I find at least anyways, is that I get super excited when that fawn is walking down the trail towards me. Like I get just as excited almost, maybe I'm lying a little bit, but you, I get really excited about uh, this opportunity that's presenting itself or about to present itself. It's kind of neat just by changing my mindset. So I'm going to use the shotgun or I'm going to shoot you know, a doe or I'm going to shoot a fawn or I'm going to shoot a big buck. Like when each of those scenarios start to unfold, you find that enjoyment really ramp up. So I don't know for me, at least. Anyways. That's what I, I love about listening to your podcast is because it's a, for those, like the majority of people are like this hit my mic are the, and I know you and Sean James talked about it, sportsmen. And I use air quotes there where, you know, they only go out and shoot one thing so they can brag about it. And you guys had a whole talk about social media, which I agree with, which you'll notice we don't ever post the stuff y'all were talking about. Um, but when they hear something like shoot a doe, or you were talking in one episode about getting a tag for a, um, a moose calf and like mm -hmm. people would be appalled, you know, these sportsmen. But the reality of it is, is like as a, to be able to provide food for yourself and the world that you live in and the things that you do, like it's a, it's a challenge. It's something that you're going to do and you're excited about it. And you know, I'm, we're, we're the same way, you know, it's meat is the meat, the meat's got to be provided for, you know, and, um, it's just so fun to have an interesting, a different perspective on it, as opposed to what we normally have on this podcast where everybody's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to shoot a 160 this year or whatever, you know, I won't kill nothing. Where, mm. um, yeah. Well, that, that, that mindset's been perpetuated by a lot of the TV shows you were yeah. talking about where everybody only wants to shoot this big, you know, this big buck. And so the, the result is that you have an overpopulation of does. It's putting stress on habitat um, and it's detrimental to the to the species as a whole. And uh, it's not good for quality deer management. And it has an, it has a negative impact on other species as well. Um, so, yeah, I, we're, we're right in line with you um, and, you know, setting those expectations and, and having goals. Uh, like you said, it makes it more exciting. And um, I think it's important. Well, here's the other thing too, is like, we're talking about food a lot, right? Is that, um, you know, a, a lot of times I will get on a kick about certain food, what I don't know, like, I'm not really on one right now. But for a while, I was on a barbecue kick there for a while. And so there'll be different food outcomes that you have in mind, that you know, maybe lend themselves better to a certain species or a certain or a certain 
age bracket within that species, right? Like, you know, so one of my favorite meals, for instance, is neck roast, like a, a neck, ro- a braised neck roast, uh, especially in a barbecue sauce or a sweet sour or anything like that is, or a taco is just amazing because of those long striated muscle fibers that just create this really different texture, right? But so what do you think is the best animal to give me that, that, that food outcome? Well, it's a big buck with his huge neck, right? Um, And then there's other things where maybe I want a more delicate, I want like a schnitzel or something like that, or some sort of more delicate meat. Well, what's the best best outcome for that? It's going to be a young whitetail buck, right? Or doe or something like that. So I don't know, you know, it's a different, sorry. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a unique and very culinary approach to, to hunting, which we, we don't get to talk a whole lot about. Not a lot of people have that vantage point. It's very interesting. Yeah. And ground even like I will take a lot of the best cuts of a deer and grind them up and people just what like you know like ground loin is amazing Um, because it is giving you a different texture so yes you can take what everybody always does which is to take the worst cuts the shoulder cuts and and the neck cuts and things like that and grind them up into 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 ground meat but you know those cuts generally are the most flavorful cuts so if you learn how to cook them in a braise or a sous vide or something like that, something that just makes them melt in your mouth, you're going to really enjoy the shit out of it. Um, and then if you take those loins and other things that you're, that you're not all of them, of course, but if you take a, a portion, you're going to make the best hamburger you've ever eaten in your life. If you take a nice loin and grind it up and, and do your hamburger jam with it. Right. So, Yeah. I don't know. I like challenging the norms when it comes to stuff like that, for sure. The other thing too, like I come from a point of privilege. We're living where I live. I've killed 160 bucks and, um, you know, we have 160 bucks. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Uh, like I, sometimes I exaggerate, but you know, we have 160 bucks. (laughs) Like I see 160 bucks every week kind of thing. Right. You know, I don't get a shot at them of course, but you know, I've killed plenty of big bucks. And so, I get that maybe there are some folks that live in states where that type of opportunity doesn't exist. So yeah, I would get that their focus would be to shoot big bucks. And and the one thing that the U.S. has done well in the last 30 years is this quality management thing that's been adopted down there. Because when I was outfitting whitetail bow hunting here in the 90s, the Edmonton Bow Zone um, and a few places in Saskatchewan and different places like that were the place to shoot big bucks. Places like Michigan and the Midwest, the you know, you weren't able to see 180 or 170 class deer. And then through this management practice of uh, letting the young bucks walk, um, you know, now all of a sudden you guys are getting these opportunities at big whitetails. So it's kind of that catch-22, isn't it, where you've got this mentality of – like I'm only going to shoot a big buck or I'm going to shoot or I'm not going to shoot anything at all um, versus never having the opportunity to shoot a big buck. Right. So, yeah, yep. I don't know. I find that dynamic kind of interesting. I can sit here and say, yeah, I'm going to shoot a fawn or I'm going to shoot a doe and be happy. But that comes from a standpoint of, you know, there's walls on my head behind me. I don't need to shoot another big buck really. So <laughs> Makes sense. I get that. 
Yeah. Are you so are you going to give up the fly fishing deal or are you still going to do it? Cuz I know you're pretty passionate about it. Oh, no way, dude. Um the one thing that I'm learning about the BC coast is all of the fly fishing opportunities that exist. So a friend of mine, Don Thomas, um, Don Thomas Jr., people may have read him. Um, he described to me, well, he described everybody. He wrote a story about it. I don't know where now, but um, about kingfish or king salmon fishing with this fly rod. But the other thing that exists oh. down there as well is like the pinks and the cohos, um, the sea run cutthroats. Um, and then there's all sorts of bass and rockfish and things like that that exist along kelp beds. And there's tons of opportunities, uh, saltwater. And then, of course, if you go inland on Vancouver Island or the mainland, there's still all sorts of freshwater species that are available. So yeah, no, I'll never put that fly rod down. In fact, I plan on expanding that a bit. So yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think that you would. I was going to say a lot of people, we know down here anyway, there's a lot of people that fly fish in the, in the ocean and the salt water. Oh, this, yeah. What this, would that be stripers or what would they be fishing for? Tarpon. A lot of people are going for tarpon. Oh yeah. 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 And the flats. Anything that lives up top. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's lots of opportunities that I've just, I've tried, I've dabbled in them before and I've failed miserably. And so the, you know, yeah, I want to go hard at that to be able to, mm -hmm. I love fly fishing. I love building fly rods and tying flies. To me, that's sort of similar to building a bow and, and napping a flint head, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Are you, so you, you offer just to let everybody know, you offer a lot of stuff for people if they want to come learn how to do it from you. Oh, yeah, I don't know what'll happen there, actually, Matt. Um, so right now, in the past couple of years, yes, I've offered fly fishing classes. And here in Edmonton, northern Alberta, there's not a lot of fly fishing. Uh, it's not really the fly fishing center of the universe. So it's been a little bit of a tough sell as far as selling the the courses. Um, so I think the plan is to do that more down on the coast. Um We'll see. We'll see. I ha I want to expand though. Um, one of my jams and something that I'm okay at is campfire cooking. And it's something that I really enjoy to do. And so one of the things I want to offer is like a campfire cooking course in person where we'll just set things up on a beach and go and we'll cook a few things on the beach. So um, we'll do that. The other thing I want to do is partner up with some friends of mine that are also in in a chefing sort of world and do some uh, collaboration type dinners, events, things like that. And then I am playing around with the idea of bringing people out on the sailboat, like come with us for the weekend. You know, we'll hook you up with food and drink for the weekend. We'll go for a sail. Uh, we'll sail to some secluded cove somewhere with a beach and then we'll go on shore. We'll have a really nice bottle, a Chateauneuf de Pop or nice bottle of wine and cook up some crab and some other stuff and uh and then uh, sleep on the boat cook you breakfast and bring you home the next day kind of thing so we're playing around with ideas like that for sure i uh i do enjoy the idea of sharing uh, some of this wild food skill set or lifestyle with people for sure so i, I want to keep going with that yeah I hope you put some of that on the YouTube as well. The wild, the campfire cooking stuff. That's that's something Gus and I do a good amount of, and really oh, cool. enjoy just the campfire. The whole that's like that's like our thing. Sitting around the campfire with people after a hunt and having some whiskey and cooking some food and just sharing stories. And it's it's to me, I think that's 
like all the things that we're missing now in this modern life that we live that our ancestors didn't have. I think that's probably the biggest thing that we're missing. Right? No kidding, right? Just that sense of community. And I've, I wonder how many people that live in cities that are busy with their lives of going to work and coming home and going to sleep and then repeat, you know, gosh, they, I feel bad for those people that don't get to experience that, right? Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. So yeah we'll try to bring it you mentioned, Yeah. You mentioned earlier having cocktails, you know, or happy hour before, before dinner, um, you know, after hunts or, or, or whatever. And that's, that's been sort of the, um, the backbone of whiskey and whitetails from the very beginning is, is cultivate cultivating that camaraderie and that fellowship, um, you know, the place where food and hunting and outdoors and whiskey all sort of intersect. Um, and it's just the perfect place for things like this, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of guys that have never met to get on a call and be able to chat for an hour and have so much in common and, and so many like, like-minded opinions and thoughts. Um, you know, there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us out there. There's the, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for shared meals and drinks and, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's awesome. So we're all about hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you guys are doing too. And you know, you can buy a cheap flat of beer or you can buy a really cheap whiskey or, you know, you can, but why, why not, <laughs> why not just seek something a little cooler and it doesn't mean you have to spend more money, but just find something that you really love. And, and instead yeah. of, you know, having the whole bottle, you ha- you know, you have a drink or two and it's just, uh, yeah, it's pleasurable, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Especially when you can share it with people. Yeah. All right, John, I really, really appreciate you coming on here. We don't want to take a ton of your time. Um, and I'm going to go make some dinner myself. You got me starving over here. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Matt. Well, thank you so much for having me on, you guys. I'm a big fan of your show, and I will do my best to spread the word for you guys and what you're doing because I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, same. Other than all the stuff we're going to put in the show notes for where people can find you, is there any uh, any other tidbits or secrets they need to know, on, especially on how they can support you? Yeah, well, I mean, I appreciate it. Um, if you can go to the, you know, the big thrust right now is with YouTube. So you go to YouTube and then just look up John Schneider's Wildlife, all one word, and, uh, you know, support me as best you can just by commenting and subscribing, obviously. And then more important than that is, you know, share it with friends and family. Um, the goal here is to, I'm starting over from scratch. I'm 56 years old. I'm starting over from scratch so as not to disrupt my family life here that I'm leaving back behind. Um, and you know, that's a challenge. So there will be other ways to, um, help with, you know, uh, the monetization of it down the road. I don't know what that is. And if people want, choose to do that because they, they found that I'm creating value in their life, then that'd be wonderful. But for now, just go check out John Schneider's wildlife. Awesome. Well, we love what you're doing. We're huge supporters for sure. We want to have you back on to check in again too. Um, yep, absolutely. I'd love you guys got to come out and see the boat, man. Like, I don't know if that's possible one day, you know, Dude, yeah, we would. You you were talking about you know uh, stopping somewhere and, and having you know uh, dinner on the beach somewhere. We'd love to to be able to meet you somewhere and bring some whiskey and yes. do a pairing with whatever you cook and uh, have you, some drinks and cook. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, ne- see now there's an impetus put on me to make it uh, through the Panama <laughs> Canal and get over to you guys. So, <laughs> well, we won't put it on you that hard. We'll we'll come to the West Coast and, and see you yeah. somewhere. 
We'll come to the West Coast. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Dude, you give me an excuse to sail around the horn. That's what I'm looking for. So, Oh, your excuse right. is here anytime you want it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, yep, John. Thank you, John.